Come with me again this morning uh, to two places, Genesis chapter 49 and Genesis chapter 30. So Genesis 49 and Genesis chapter 30. Just give you a moment to find that. For those of you that may not know, uh, we're going through uh, a study, an examination of the high priest garments, uh, seeing what we discover about Christ and his church. And uh, this morning, I believe, this is part nine. And uh, we have had quite a lengthy spell uh, regarding looking at the precious stones on the breastplate of judgment on the high priest ephod, and uh, how each of these stones is inscribed with the name of the tribe of the children of Israel, sons of Jacob. And uh, so we've been looking at them and seeing what we can learn from them. And uh, this morning we want to begin reading from chapter 30 of Genesis and verse 9, 10, and 11. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing she took Zilpha her maid and gave her to Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid Zilpha bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, A troop comes. So she called his name Gad, which means a troop. Leah's maid Zilpha bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. And then in chapter 49 of Genesis, verse 19, uh, this is Jacob speaking to his sons prophetically. And he says, God, which means a troop comes. God, a troop shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at the last. God, a troop shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at the last. So when I come to the sixth precious stone, the high priest's breastplate, the diamond representing God. Now we saw there that Leah had borne Jacob four sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, and then she had stopped bearing children. However, Rachel, in her desperation, because she has been barren up to this point, in her desperation to have a child, she offers Jacob her maid uh, to have a son by proxy through. Uh, her maid uh, was called Bilhah. And Bilhah bore uh, Jacob two sons, Dan and Naphtali. Leah, now seeing that, a little bit of jealousy comes in. And so she now, thinking that she has stopped childbearing, she offers her maid, Zilpah, to Jacob that we have just read. And she also bears him two sons, Gad and Asher. Now, she names her firstborn born by Zilpha Gad, which means a troop comes. So obviously, she was expecting more to follow. And more did follow, apart from her maid having another son called Asher. But more followed from her loins also. In fact, she had two more sons to Jacob later on, Issachar and Zebulon, and one daughter, Dinah. So that's quite a family, isn't it? 
So now Jacob is old, he's about to die, his eyes have grown dim, and he calls his sons together around his bedside to give the patriarchal blessing, which would be prophetic and uh, commending and condemning in some cases and rebuking. And so he now begins to prophesy to God something that, that almost seems like a play of words upon his name. And in a sense, it was a play of words upon his name, but it was highly prophetic. Now remember, he's old here, and he's speaking by the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's under the anointing of God, and so he hasn't pre-planned what he's going to say at all. He's opening his mouth. God is filling it, so whatever comes out is of the Spirit of God. And so he's highly anointed by God to speak these words. Some of them are rather strange. Some of them, as I said, is a rebuke. Some is a commendation. Others is prophetic in the sense that it's going to be way out in the future. In fact, way beyond even them. Even beyond today, in fact. Even to the very last days. And uh, so he says in Genesis 49, 19, he speaks to God and he says, God, which means a troop comes. God, a troop shall tramp upon him and he shall triumph at the last. Now God, you may remember in previous studies, and the tribe of Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh lived on the east side of Jordan. Now, when I say the half-tribe of Manasseh, you may wonder why I'm saying the half-tribe. Well, half lived on the east side and half lived on the west side. And so they sort of became known as the half-tribe of Manasseh because they lived, half of them, on the east side of Jordan. Now, it was a wonderful land as far as growing crops and as far as settling was concerned, but it did have one major drawback in that it was surrounded by bitter enemies. The Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Philistines bordered their land. And so probably because of that, it proved a very difficult place to, uh, to defend. And probably because of that, well, they had to learn to defend very fast. And so they became great warriors tremendous fighters. Now remember, their enemies around them were armed with all the latest armory they could find. And so in order to defend their land, they had to very quickly become great fighters, which they did. And, uh, and so they had to continually fight to keep their enemies at bay. Now the enemy, the, the territory that they uh, began to live in became known as Gilead which was a name often associated with the tribe of God, Gilead. And uh, in Judges 5.17, it tells us that. And then in Judges 10, it tells us there that for 18 years, they were oppressed by the Philistines. And even though they were tremendous fighters, and even though they were brave and courageous, and yet there was periods where they were oppressed uh, by their enemies, in this case, the Philistines. And so, perhaps because of all their defending, they got the reputation as being fierce, absolutely fierce fighters and warriors. And they joined forces with King David and fought with him in Ziglag whenever David was under tremendous pressure. And so here's a tribe that is in constant readiness. Their enemies were large, were attacking them continually, and so they knew by experience the taste of defeat particularly against the Philistines. The Philistines oppressed them for 18 long years. So they knew even the taste of defeat, but thank God they also knew the taste of victory because the prophecy was that they would triumph at last. 
And throughout their history, that is the case, the way they would triumph at last. Now, us as believers, us as the sons of God today, have got to be in constant readiness because we too are surrounded by great and large enemies that would want to, like a trip, come against us. And so we need to, God to train our hands for war, for spiritual war, and be able to fight in the Spirit so that we can triumph at the last. All of us has had our defeats, but thank God all of us has had our victories too because we have triumphed at the last. Now from these 12 sons of Jacob or Israel, as they would become known collectively, uh, they would become a great troop, a great and mighty nation. Remember God's promise to Abraham. Uh, Jacob's grandfather, remember that promise, as the sand on the seashore and as the stars in the sky, God would make of them a great nation. Now often as a great nation, as a great troop, often they themselves were overcome by bigger troops uh, like the Egyptians and the Assyrians, the cruel barbaric Assyrians, and by the wicked Babylonians and even by the powerful Romans. And so, time and time again, even though they were a great troop, they were overcome by even greater troops, by bigger troops. Empires would overtake them and drag them into captivity. It seemed like they were defeated. But thank God they always triumphed at the last. I mean, less than even 70 years ago, Nazi Germany, that jackbooted troop that had overcome them seemingly, wiped out six million of them in just a few short years, put them to the gas chambers and burned them. And it seemed to be that the nation was destroyed. It seemed to be that troop had been wiped out. But no, thank God, they triumphed at the last. Because in a few short years, in May 1948, God, as was promised prophetically, raised them up a nation again in one day. And one day they got their nationhood back again. And within days of that one day of being raised up as a nation, within days the surrounding Arab nations sought to destroy them and to push them into the sea and to wipe them off the face of the earth. But they couldn't do it, thank God. They couldn't do it. And during the Six-Day War, in June, from the 5th to the 10th June 1967, that has gone down in the annals of military history as one of the greatest battles ever fought. <laughs> Again, surrounded by 11 or 12 Arab nations, 200 million Arab Islamic nations vowed to destroy them, to wipe them to the face of the earth. And in six days, they were crushed their armies, their navies, their air force were crushed by tiny little Israel in just six days. And during that period, Israel took Gaza and the Sinai Peninsula of Egypt. And they took also the ground that we know now as the West Bank, including East Jerusalem. They took that of Jordan. And they took the Golan Heights of Syria. And it became a worldwide phenomenon. How could a tiny little nation take on so many other nations and wipe them? <laughs> Why? Because 
All those years ago, Jacob promised and prophesied that they would at the last triumph. Concerning Christ, seemingly overcome by a great troop, the religious establishment of Judaism joined forces with the political military might of Rome, who in turn joined forces with hell itself to come against the Christ, the Son of God. And they put him on a cross, and they buried him in a tomb, overcome by a trip. But thank God, on the third day, he rose again, according to the Scriptures. He triumphed at last. Amen. Do you know in Revelation chapter 19 it tells us that one day that the nations of the earth will come to fight against the Son of God in Israel. Can you believe it? They will gather together to fight against the Son of God. And the Bible says He will come and with the sword of His mouth He will blast them. <laughs> and he will wipe them. He shall triumph at the last. You see, lots of these prophecies of old, some of them has yet to be fulfilled. So you can see why when Jacob spoke, he had no grasp really of what he was really saying. It was under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Little did he know what he was saying would have ramifications and significance right even to the very last of the last days right even to Christ and His church, and right even to Israel as a nation. The seventh stone is a ligure representing Ephraim. Now in Genesis chapter 41, if you'll turn to it please. This is concerning uh, Joseph, when he had risen to the height of his power in Egypt, become vice-regent of all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh in the land. Verse 45 of Genesis 41. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Pianiah, and he gave him as a wife Azinath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years that were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. And Joseph gathered, every, gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Azinath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore to him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my 
affliction. Now, in Genesis 48, it tells us how that Joseph brought these two sons, his two sons, uh, to Jacob. It's important that we read this. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, at this time, you remember how that Joseph had already met his brothers and had revealed himself to them and says, Look, bring the whole family down, live in the land of Goshen here, you'll have food of plenty. And so they were there for about 17 years. And now Jacob is old, and again he's about to die, he's about to call his sons. So word goes to Jacob. And it says there, uh, so Joseph brought, sorry, where am I reading here? Verse, verse 2. And Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on his bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. I hope the American government, the British government, is reading that and listening to that. As an everlasting possession given by God. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. These are his grandsons Jacob's talking about. And now he's claiming them as his, as mine. He's including them even as his own sons. You'll see it in a moment. They shall be, they are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring whom you beget after them shall be yours. And they will be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. We have no record that any more was born to Joseph, by the way. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? Now remember, he's old, his eyes are dim, so he's not seeing very well. Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim, in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, who was the older, obviously, guiding his hands knowingly. For Manasseh was the firstborn, and he blessed Joseph and said, Now before we read what he said, let me try to get you to visualize this for a moment. Now it would be quite natural uh, for him to bless the eldest first and then the youngest. That would be the natural thing to do. It doesn't mean to say he had to do that, but it would be the customary natural family thing to do. And so Joseph brings his two sons. If I can borrow 
say two of you young men, what about Jimmy and, and Barkley? Come on, you two young men out here. Which of you two are the oldest? You don't want to admit Barkley. Well, say Barkley, you're the oldest, all right? So you're Manasseh. So you stand, you stand here, right, just right here. Jimmy, you're the youngest. You're Ephraim, all right? Now, Gary, you'll be old Jacob, all right? <laughs> Gary's just back from Israel, so he's, we'll just make him Jacob for today, all right? Is your eyes dim? Are you all right? You, oh, you okay, can, can see. Okay. Okay. All right. So quite naturally, of course, Jacob's in bed. He's lying down, but you'll do standing up today. So quite naturally, Joseph brings his two sons. And, and naturally, he wants his oldest son, uh, Manasseh, to be facing his dad's right hand because that will be the right hand of blessing go upon the firstborn and his left hand to go up to him. So Joseph now is, is down here. I can't do it because of Mike. He's down here. He's face to the ground. So he's not quite seeing what's going on. And so as Jacob starts to bless the two sons, he crosses his hands like this, knowingly, deliberately. Just move in a wee bit. Get Jacob to bless you there. All right? <laughs> So he knowing that deliberately just crosses his two hands. So what he's doing in effect is that he's putting the blessing, the main blessing upon the youngest rather than the eldest. All right? Thank you. About your seats. So having done that, he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long, to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. And let my name be named upon them, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his fathers laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. So he thought, well, he's the old man. He can't see. He's in his dotage. He's just made a genuine mistake here. But he hadn't. But his father refused and said, I know, my son. I know. He shall also become a people. And he shall also be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. And so he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. You know, you see this several times in Scripture, uh, how that... Uh, and Jacob was preferred before Esau. And how that Isaac was preferred before Ishmael. And now we see here how that Ephraim is preferred before Manasseh. And this, of course, was all in the plan of God. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Notice what he said. By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Do you know that to this very day, that Jews, when they hold the Sabbath, that they pray that prayer over their sons? May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. 
And they pray over their daughters and they say, may God make you as Sarah and Rebecca and as Rachel and Leah. <laughs> After all those thousands of years, they still remember that. And so, only God alone knows why the Ephraims are preferred above the Manassas. It was very obvious, anybody has ever read the story, why Jacob was preferred above Esau. Now, Jacob wasn't perfect. Had lots of flaws in his life. But he had a hunger for spiritual things, and he knew the spiritual importance even of the birthright and desired it. Whereas Esau, the Bible says, was a profane man. He was an irreverent man. He was godless. He didn't care about God or the things of God or the birthright, what's, what it meant spiritual or anything. Sold it for a dish of lentil soup. So we know why he was discarded. But we can't say that about Manasseh. As far as we know, Manasseh was a godly man. As far as we know, he was, worshipped the Lord. As far as we know, he lived right and did right. So we don't always understand why God prefers one above the other. The one that you think should sometimes isn't the one that God chooses. The one that you think God would choose the least is the one that often God chooses. But that's His prerogative. That's the, the, the prerogative of God. That's the wisdom of God in action. And so we have to understand that there's going to be times when God will make choices that we may not understand even in our own lives or in the lives of others or why does He bless that church more than this church or why did that leader get to reach the, the ends of the earth and multitudes of people and millions of people in different nations and others are stuck away maybe in a little place away out in the country with 20 people. Why is that? It's God's choice. It's God's choice. Why did God, why did Jesus, I should say, why did Jesus choose Peter, James, and John above the rest to be closest to him? Well, it could be maybe he just felt more comfortable with those three. It could be he felt maybe that they would be closest to his heart. Uh, it could be that maybe he felt that maybe that uh, he, could, he could open his heart to them more than the rest. But we don't exactly know. All we do know is he chose those three above the rest at his most poignant moments and in the crisis moments of his life. They're the three that he chose to be with him. And it was always Peter, James, and John. It was always in that order. Why is that? It's just the will of God. It's purposes of God. We don't always fully understand that. And here we see it again played out in, in Ephraim's life. And so maybe within a family, God puts his hands especially upon one. Maybe in a church, God puts his hand especially on one. But we just like to let God be God and, and not try to figure out why he does things all the time. Just be content of, with what he's done in our lives and whatever he's doing in somebody else's life. Well, God bless them. If that's God's choice, that's God's choice. Ephraim, by the way, did become the much larger of the two tribes. Ephraim had 40,500, Manasseh had 3,200, 32,000, I should say. These, by the way, when I talk about these numbers of these tribes, these is people above 20 years old who could fight. But much more than that, but it was above 20 years old who could fight. And after the division of the, the kingdom, when the two sons of, of Solomon, when the kingdom was divided, 
into the ten northern tribes and the two southern tribes. The ten northern tribes collectively became known as Ephraim because they were such a large tribe themselves. You read, oftentimes you're talking about Israel and it's Ephraim it mentions. But anyway, so here is Joseph's two sons. And in effect, Jacob is adopting them, as it were, counting them as his own sons and, and giving them a special place among the tribes. You remember that Reuben was supposed to get the, 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 the firstborn portion and he didn't get it because of his sin and his instability and Joseph got it instead. So now Joseph comes with his two sons and Jacob says, in effect, by the way, that the double portion you got, your sons is going to get the blessing of that. And so they get tracts of land also. They got their names on the breastplate, on the beautiful stones. And so that's, that's God's prerogative. God can do what God wants to do. We can't argue and fight against the will of God. If God wants to raise one up, fine. If God wants to lift one a little higher, fine. If God wants to appoint this and anoint that, fine. That's up to God. We just got to be content with what is done in our lives and enjoy that and use that to the fullest for His glory. And then the eighth stone is the agate representing Manasseh. Now because we have talked a little bit about Manasseh here, we don't have to go into that background again. You've already got that. But remember Ephraim's name means fruitful. Because when these two sons was born, he says, he called his name Ephraim because God has made me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And in Manasseh's name he called for forgetful. Manasseh means forgetful. For God has made me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. Not that he forgot all about his brother and his brother and his parents. Not that he forgot about them in that sense, but he forgot about all of the hassle, all of the trouble that was caused, all of the betrayal of his brothers, all of that stuff, the putting into prison, Potiphar's wife lying about, all that background he had. He says, God has made me to forget that. Not that he could wipe that from his memory, but the hurt of it, the pain of it, the torment of it, the injustice of it. He says, God has made me to forget that. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. Listen, you can't walk backwards into the future. Sure you can't. And there's going to be some things in our lives, some pains, some hurts, some injustices, some major disappointments. And there's going to be some of that that we're going to have to learn to forget. Not that you can wipe it out of your mind, but the hurt of it, the pain of it, the disappointment of it, the letdown of it, all of that stuff that rankles within our spirit, that rankles within our emotions that causes all kinds of stresses and strains and pressures of life. Some of that we're going to have to forget. Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal. There's something, there's a principle in life that if we're going to reach out further, we're going to have to forget some things in the past. Because if we continually live in the past, we're never going to walk into our future. So to be fruitful, we often need to be forgetful of the failures and the disappointments 
of the past. Notice he said, God made me to forget. It wasn't just an act of his willpower. And let me tell you, he had a lot to forget, hadn't he? I mean, life is rough for Joseph. It was so grossly unfair. And I'm sure there's times that's what he thought all those times in Egypt. Especially when he was thrown into jail. I'm sure he sat with his head and I was thinking, God, this is unfair. What did I do to deserve this? I haven't done anything. I have lived my life for you. I've been honest. I've been clean. I've been pure. Look, look at the mess I'm in. Look what's happening to me. It's not fair, God. Did you ever say that? Maybe you're too super spiritual to say that to God, but you thought it, didn't you? God, why has this happened to me? It's not fair. So he had a lot to forget. But he says, God, God has made me to forget. And so it's possible with God's help, it's possible by the help of the Holy Spirit for God to help us and heal those hurts and heal those memories and heal those feelings and, and heal those feelings of injustice and it's not fair and all that stuff that wants to just drag us down and just to overcome us and defeat us. So God can soothe the pains, He can heal the hurts. There's just some stuff that we're going to have to forget. There's some stuff we're going to have to forgive if we're going to move forward and be fruitful. And God most certainly wants us to be fruitful, doesn't he? He really does. And so Joseph, looking at his situation, thanking God for the blessings that I got with these two sons, he says, I'm just going to call one forgetful because God made me forget. And he says, I'm going to call this one fruitful for God has made me fruitful. And so he's thankful and he's grateful for what God has done. See, it Spurgeon said, we crucify ourselves between two thieves. The regrets of our past and the fears of our future. <coughs> Nothing will rob us as much as the regrets of the past and the fears of the future. And so here we have these two wonderful sons of Joseph have now been, in a sense, adopted into the family. And Jacob said, I'm going to treat them as if they're my sons. And I'm going to bless them as if they're my sons. Now, what a, what a joy that must have been to Joseph. You know, all those years of separated because of what the brothers did, uh, and, and growing up in Egypt, and then being able to help the family, and then at the very last, when, when Jacob's dying, calling for him, and and it must have been a wonderful, touching moment uh, to bring in his two sons to see their granddad. Uh, it would have just been enough for Joseph, uh, just for their granddad to say, how wonderful to see your sons, and God bless you. That, thanks for bringing that. been enough for him. But to say, no, I'm going to prophetically bless these two boys. I'm going to treat them as if they're my sons. I know they're your sons, but I'm going to treat them as if they're mine. And so he pulled them close. And then he crossed his hands and he blessed them. And what a joy that must have been for Joseph to see that. Did you notice in the story, we just flicked over it as we read it, did you notice that Joseph bowed down before his father? 
Remember the dream that Joseph had about his father and his mother, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowing down before him? Remember that dream? Well, the sun's dead, but we have no record of mom and dad ever doing that. Hmm. But what we have the record is this, that Joseph bows down before his dad. There's humility. You know, he could have said to all his brothers, and he could have said to his family, see, I told you so. But he's humble, and he's grateful for what God has done. So here's the old patriarch, and Joseph loves him, and he bows down in obeisance before him, giving him reverence and respect. What a touching scene that must have been to be there. And to see old Jacob under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit as it were, speaking under the unction of God and blessing all these sons. And even the Jewish people to this day remember that blessing. And they pray that over their sons. May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. <laughs> That's a nice prayer, isn't it? May God make you ladies as Sarah and Rachel and as Leah and as who else? Who's been listening? Pardon? Rebecca. <laughs> Isn't it lovely? So we're getting through these stones. I know you think I'm never going to finish them. Say, do we hear any more stones? I'm never going to hear another precious stone in my life again. But we're getting through these stones. And we're almost through it. We're almost finished. Amen. The little hiatus next Sunday night, of course, whenever we have our special guest, but that's all right. We'll pick up. But we're almost there. We're almost through it. And hopefully we're learning something about Christ and about His church, about Him and about us and what God wants from us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we bless You for the inspiration of Your Holy Word. We thank You, Lord, for all of these Old Testament passages that to so many seems dry and dusty and just history. But yet, Lord, they are meaningful. And Lord, they are applicable even to our lives today. So, Lord, help us, Lord, to dig in and to see Christ and His church and His people. And Lord, to see Your plans and Your purposes for us. And so we give You thanks for these things. In Jesus' mighty name.